Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Everybody, here we are, Securing Bridges live from RSA Conference 2022. I'm hanging out here in some undisclosed location in San Francisco. <laughs> I know it was not the usual studio you're used to seeing me, and you're also not used to seeing me have a guest like right here next to me. This is wild. I, I, I don't even know what to do. It's like, I would love to think the pandemic is over, but I don't think we're really quite there yet. But uh, hey, a new special time just for this week because again, live, we have to do things a little bit differently. But for those of you that are on the East Coast and are, you know, maybe watching this with dinner, cool, good, good idea. For the rest of you that are a little closer in time zone, hey, great to have you aboard. Hope you've had a great week. RSA Conference, here we are. We're back in real life in RSA. We had a delay by a few months, but, and we're here on Securing Bridges where we talk about building that bridge between cybersecurity and all of those people that we are trying to reach who really maybe aren't the cybersecurity experts, right? That's what we're here for. And so if you've watched the 12 episodes up until now, or you've seen any of them, you know, the guests on here have been phenomenal every week. I I can't even believe, if you haven't seen them, by the way, go back. You have to check out the past episodes. I mean, come on. Get with it now. Come on. Good stuff. But this week, again, like amazing. I can't even believe I'm sitting here right now because if you don't recognize her already, y'all, this is Jen Easterly, director of CISA. So Jen, thank you for being here. This is exciting. My pleasure. My pleasure. Any show that starts with rock music, I'm in for. I mean, I, I, I figured that would probably fit with <laughs> your episode. I'm, so I'm down for it. There might be people out there who don't know you or don't know a lot about you. I, I know it's shocking. Like, come on. Like, she's been all over the place. Like, she did a keynote. She was on a panel. My God, she's been everywhere. But no, can you just... Introduce yourself a little bit the way you would want people to hear about you because you can probably do a way better job than I can. Now, it's so cool to be with you. Thank you very much for asking me to do this. It's awesome. Um, So, Jen Easterly, I'm the director of CISA, which is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. We love security so much, we had to have it twice in our name. (laughs) Um, So, CISA is really, think about it as America's Cyber Defense Agency. Um, we were created about three and a half years ago. The founder was our friend, Chris Krebs. Yeah. And the idea was one agency to lead the national effort to understand, manage, and reduce risk to the cyber and physical infrastructure that Americans rely on every hour of every day. So to your, your point about building bridges and, and really making uh, cybersecurity more accessible to the American people. You know, we throw around terms like infrastructure and people are like, oh, infrastructure, that's for those <laughs> IT people, right? right? The, yeah, the critical exactly. infrastructure is the water, the comms, the transportation, the power, the food that we rely on every hour of every day. And it's about protecting and defending that infrastructure, which really underpins our way of life. So that's our mission at CISA. We're a voluntary agency. We're a startup agency, which is like super cool because we get to actually 
build it and create it not as another lumbering government bureaucracy, right. <laughs> but as something else that is much more like a public private collaborative, much more like the private sector, because, you know, at the end of the day, critical infrastructure is largely owned and operated by the private sector. So if we can't build strong, trusting, collaborative relationships with the private sector and with our state and local colleagues, we ain't going to succeed. Right. And so that's why I'm excited to be here today. It's actually kind of a neat story now, but too, because, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, their first introduction to CISA was the 2020 election. Yeah. So everybody got really focused on, oh, well, CISA takes care of securing elections. I, I think people forget what the original intention was for CISA. It was so much broader. Yeah. And, you know, and now, of course, we've seen some of these, you know, Colonial Pipeline, of course, everybody could yeah. think of, but, you know, even some of the smaller attacks and it, that, that mission really has come to light. So, I mean, where, where did that begin for you? So you, you kind of came in, you know, Chris Krebs left the agency and you were brought in. I mean, first of all, how did that even happen? Right? Like, I mean, I, I, I'm really, I know I'm going to like, get her. <laughs> I mean, I didn't mean it. Bad. Okay. I suppose it kind of comes off that way. No, 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 no. No, it's a great question. So I was in the government for about 27 years, started off at West Point. Uh, 11th graduating class of women, uh, was in the Army actually for almost 22 years as an intel officer, um, spent a good bit of that time at the National Security Agency, and that's really where I got immersed in things like technology and cyber, and actually stood at the Army's first cyber battalion, and then helped um, friends uh, who are now in, in leadership positions, people like Paul Nakasone, uh, my good friend T.J. White, who just retired, working with Keith Alexander, Chris Inglis, to stand up U.S. Cyber Command. Awesome. So it was. It was so great. So we did that, and then I ended up retiring from the Army. Um, I worked at the White House in counterterrorism. Uh, and then I went off to the private sector for four and a half years at Morgan Stanley to stand yeah. up our uh, fusion center for cybersecurity and then was the head of firm resilience. And I was asked to serve on the uh, transition team for the Biden-Harris administration. And that's where I sort of came back in a little bit into government. And based on that and some of the work that I'd done, uh, it was considered for this position. You know, I'll be honest, Alyssa, I'd never served in the Department of Homeland Security before. And I did not know what to expect. Okay. Um, I can understand that um, for sure. And I've had some awesome jobs in my life. But I will tell you in all sincerity, this is the best job I have ever had. I mean, you've got a cool like opportunity to really build something really? new and different, which I mean, you, know, you mentioned I, like going to Morgan Stanley. So I even kind of wonder with that. So you, you get, you go from a long time of service in the government to private sector and you're asked to build something really brand new in that fusion center. That, that's got to be a bit of an adjustment too. Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, part of the adjust adjustment that was so challenging was um, for my son, actually, okay. <laughs> uh, was moving the whole family from D.C. up to Manhattan. My husband was unemployed for a little while. Uh, my son had to go to a new school and all of that. But, yeah. you know, so it took probably like seven, eight months to sort of sort everything out. And then I was navigating this world as sort of a very senior person, but never having been in finance, never having been at this firm before. And Morgan Stanley is a fabulous place to work. But it's very much about people who've been there for 10, 20, 30 years. And sort of breaking into some of that could be challenging. Right? Yeah. And so 
really building those relationships, cultivating um, real partnerships and networks within the firm. And then as you know, I mean, it's the whole point of this podcast, right? Technology and cybersecurity is seen as a, you know, a, a cost center. Yeah. Right? Necessary it's expense. A, it's a cost center. Yeah. And so we really had to turn, turn that paradigm around in terms of, no, we're not a cost center. Actually, we can fuel your business because at the end of the day, we're all about clients at Morgan Stanley and, and clients care about their cybersecurity. So if you can show that your program is world-class, you've invested the right resources, you've brought in the right people, you've built the right architectures, then that could actually be a real enabler for the business. And so having that translation between the technology and the business so that you both see that value added was a huge, um, a huge multiplier for me being able to do this job in CISA. I mean, uh, the job at Morgan Stanley was hands down the most important job preparation to be the director of CISA. That makes sense. Honestly, because, I mean, again, you know, the name of the podcast, Securing Bridges. Right. And it, you know, I, I even think about the, the nature of like a fusion center is kind of that same thing. Like, let's start to show the business how, and we talk about this a lot on this show, is that whole idea of, all right, we've got to stop thinking about cybersecurity as just, you know, we're, we're like this oversight or we're just this, you know, uh, even, even when people talk about it in terms of like just risk reduction, I'm like, I always feel like we don't, we don't, we set ourselves short when we say that. Like yep. there's so much more. Yep. And with something like a fusion center and now, that plays out with CISA too, that bringing like actual business value yep. to cybersecurity. Yep. So I'm, I, I would guess that's probably what's shaping a lot of what you're working on right now yeah. as well. I mean, it comes down to um, building trusted partnerships, whether you're in technology in a private sector and you're building those partnerships with the business to show that you are adding value or whether you're with the government and you need to partner with private industry because private industry owns the vast majority of critical infrastructure, yeah. you have to add value, you have to be relevant. And that has really been the motivating factor to everything that I've been doing since I got to CISA. It's part of what's behind developing this joint cyber defense collaborative, which is about how do we change this paradigm from this really old, tired term around public-private partnerships that we've been talking about for decades now. You know, public-private partnerships really be became meaningless, frankly. And so the, the key that we've been working on is bringing together the government and the private sector in a, a collaborative space where you're sharing relevant information in near real time, and you're really creating a threat picture that can help us drive down that risk to the nation at scale. And, you know, the key to that, as you know, is building trust. Yeah. You know, building trust to secure bridges, you need to build <laughs> trust. And exactly. trust is hard to build and easy to break. Absolutely. And especially when you're talking about that private public partnership, because a lot of, you know, certainly a lot of people in the private space are, are always a little leery of, you know, some new government agency, they're just going to bring more regulation, whatever. And speaking from somebody in a really highly regulated industry, totally. you understand it too from being totally. at Morgan Stanley. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's been really interesting to watch this kind of take shape, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, over the last, you know, a couple of years now, and I actually saw an announcement yesterday. It was kind of caught my eye, this fellowship program. Oh, I'm so excited about this. I'm I so excited about this. I would love to hear more about this. Yes. This is cool. We might have to talk about this. So <laughs> we'll come back to this in an offline we'll conversation. So um, 
the, the key to, I think, um, being successful in life, if I am indeed successful, is surrounding yourself with people who are much smarter than you and empowering them and then building the type of relationships where you can learn about what works best. And so um, early on in my tenure, I went to go visit the National Cybersecurity Center in the UK, okay. led by my friend Lindy Cameron. And one of the programs, they're, they're a little bit ahead of us. They started, I think, in 2016, but they're sort of the equivalent of CISA in the United Kingdom. And one of the cool programs that they started was called I-100, Industry 100, where they brought in members of the private sector for you know, short periods of time. They actually made them part of their team. And that really created this sort of connective tissue between the private sector and uh, between NCSC. And it really created that um, space for better understanding what government does, what the private sector does. And I thought it was really cool. And so what we're actually creating is a little bit different with the Cyber Innovation Fellows. So we are bringing in people, talent from the private sector. We're starting with eight because it's a little bit of a, a pilot. Um, but we're bringing people into our teams. So vulnerability management, incident response, threat hunting, looking for folks to come spend one to two days a week for four months at least. Okay. Um, be part of our team, get the CISA laptop, we'll bring you in, you get the special CISA handshake and the <laughs> CISA cube. Um, but really being able to take advantage of incredible private sector talent and then demystifying a little bit about the government. Hey, you know, this is what the government does, this is how we operate, what can we learn from each other, which is so important. And then it helps us really strengthen that connective tissue between the public sector and the private sector. So we are really excited about this first class of Cyber Innovation Fellows. And so if you are interested, reach out to us, please, uh, at CISA.gov. You can reach out to me and I'm happy to talk about it. I mean, it, it's so cool. I was reading about it and I'm just like, this is really, because there is so much that, you know, I, I think we in the private sector kind of take for granted. Like, you know, I think there's, Actually, I mean, and I'll be honest, I think from both sides, there's always been kind of a little bit of maybe arrogance on both sides that we always kind of, you know, one felt like the other was always a little lesser. And, you know, the reality is we, we both do really cool things. We both also make big mistakes or struggle in certain areas. Mm -hmm. And I just, um, you know, I was talking with a friend of mine just recently uh, about, you know, the, the differences of like going from private to public and, and just what, how much it changes. And this was mm -hmm. someone else who had gone from, uh, well, it was Teresa Payton. I can, oh, she was yeah. actually the guest on last oh, week. Cool. And cool. so we were talking about this a little bit and she talked about, you know, how the, the, the culture shock of going from, you know, again, you know, financial services yep. in the private sector to all of a sudden she's at the White House and she's got access to, you know, knowledge and information that, almost unimaginable mm. in the in the private space so that's this is kind of fascinating and this so this just came kind of from uh, what you were seeing done in the UK yeah so the cyber innovation fellows was a little bit so we've been trying to come up with interesting and really compelling ways for us to be able to attract private sector talent to be part of our team and so to me this is really how do you create this talent management ecosystem that attracts great talent and that retains great talent? But I'm not looking for people to come in for a career. I'm really interested in maybe somebody coming in. If they want to do a career in government, great. If they want to spend three years with us, five years with us, 
and then go back out in the private sector, I think that that's great as well. But the talent management ecosystem has to be about how am I integrating people into the culture? You know, I've been spending a lot of time on culture because I think that's foundationally the most important thing we can do to build a high-performing team. But you integrate people in a culture, you think about mentoring and coaching them, you help develop them, you give them opportunities for things like mobility, uh, mm -hmm. you help promote them, you put a succession plan in place, and all that I think equals retention. And so okay. we're really trying to be creative with how we're hiring. We actually got cool new authorities recently that allow us to hire as part of cyber talent management system um, in a much more accelerated way. Um, and it's had a little bit of a rocky start, but I think we've cracked the code and we're going to get there. Awesome. Um, and then it allows us to pay more. Now, yeah. look, nobody comes into government to make money, no. right? If that, if you're coming into government to make money, newsflash. <laughs> you made not, not the place for you, yeah. right? This Change is, your expectations <laughs> just a little bit, folks. Exactly. Don't think we can pay that. a little bit closer on the very yeah. high end. It's like over $300,000, which is a lot for the government. Mm -hmm. So, but, you know, nobody comes into government for money. Everybody yeah. comes in because they want to defend their nation. Yeah. You know, they're willing to raise their hand to support and defend the Constitution of the United States and be part of a really special and, frankly, a small part of the population that are willing to do that in defense of the American people. And so it's such a cool thing to do to build um, to build a culture, to build a talent management system that helps us bring in the best and brightest and um, allows us to really, you know, I, I go back to, I love this philosophy of Ikigai. You ever okay, yeah. It? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've always subscribed to this. I actually had it tattooed on my, oh, wow. on my oh, yeah. arm. And it's really about, you know, do what you love, um, do what you're good at, do what the world needs, and do what you can be rewarded for. And out in the government, you can't be monetarily rewarded. It's about intrinsic rewards. There's but, other rewards, yeah. Right, there's other rewards, exactly. So what we're trying to do is, Wake up in the morning excited about what you do. You admire and respect your teammates. You're empowered by your leadership, and you feel like you're making an impact every day. That's what we're trying to build, right? I mean, that's yeah. what we all, life is short. That's what we need to do as leaders. Yeah, it, it's wild. I mean, I, if anybody's paying any attention at all to Susan and what this woman here is doing, I mean, they couldn't have picked a more perfect person to make this like the agency that's nothing like any other. <laughs> I swear to God. So, like, I mean, I may have seen a picture, possibly some video of somebody on a stage singing yes. at RSA. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I, uh, I should ask you this question, you know, it's like, what superpower do you want? If I could get a superpower, it would be to have a magnificent singing voice. I do not have a magnificent singing voice, but I love music, right? You were right. saying you worked in bands uh, before. Yep, I yep. love music. And if I wasn't the director of SIS, I'd probably be in a band. My birthday is uh, present was an electric guitar, a Gibson Les Paul, which I'm super excited about. Um, but yes, yeah, so in the service of cybersecurity, I was willing to make a fool of myself by singing more than a password to the music of Boston's more than a feeling, right? <laughs> and so, you know, what we won't do in the service of cybersecurity. Which is a whole other campaign that you, you've got yeah. going on. There's a lot of these, but this is another one that's really interesting because I've there's been a lot of activity. I've, yep. you know, following you on Twitter, I see it all the time. And, uh, you know, certainly any materials coming out of CISA right now, I, you constantly are seeing the, the MFA mantra, yep. right? Yep. And I, I think that that's, 
Well, I mean, why don't you tell me? Yeah. I, but I feel like that does, you know, that's kind of like one of those next steps where we can have a lot of bang for maybe yeah. not so much buck. No, I think that's exactly right. Look, at the end of the day, we know that there are really sophisticated uh, cyber actors out there, nation states, criminals getting increasingly well-resourced and sophisticated. And if they want to go after you, they're going to be able to get in, right? Because they're, they're really good. But that's not the majority of threats that are out there. And even these sophisticated actors are not using zero days, you know, essentially right. like yeah, brand new vulnerabilities. Just saw a study on this. They're exactly. Yeah. They're using common unpatched vulnerabilities or they're using stolen credentials. And so it's so important that we help the American people know what they need to do to help keep themselves and their families secure. And when we say things like, you know, but I think techies are terrible about how we communicate. <laughs> and I'm awful. Awful. Yes, like we are. Trying to make sure we're not like nerd speak the flux capacitor, right? right? That we're actually. She says this, there's like three DeLoreans here this week, by the <laughs> way. Like I've seen them all over. But... I know. I'm going to go. I'm going to get a picture one after. Um, so, you know, we're not good at communicating. And that's what I'm really trying to change. And so, yes. you know, I talk about enable multi-factor authentication, but you talk to my 89-year-old mother, my 17-year-old son, both of whom should really, I think they do have it, but their eyes glaze over, there are too oh, many God. syllables, it sounds so technical and complicated, that's not for me, that's for those people over there. And so we just said, like, how do we simplify it? And at the end of the day, it's more than a password, mm -hmm. right? It's your, you can log in, you can have your password, but do something else. Do a second factor to prove it's you. You can use an SMS code, you can use an authenticator app, best to use something like a FIDO key because that really is the gold standard. But we know that you know MFA can make you so much more safe and prevent you from being hacked. And so we picked more than a password. I, of course, like it because it's like Boston's <laughs> it's more than a roll. feeling, right? It's like yes. rock and roll. And so um, we're really just trying to make cyber and CISA uh, simple but, you know, also to connect with the American people in a way that, you know, frankly, cyber threats are a kitchen table issue. We need to make cyber hygiene and cybersecurity a kitchen table issue. And part yeah. of that is being able to communicate much more effectively. Oh, I I love that because, again, it fits right with the theme, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm here for you. This, this, I love it. I, we did not prep for this. I promise. We <laughs> didn't prep at all. <laughs> no, this is the best way to This is how we do this show. We, we don't prep. We just come in and I love it. It's all I conversation. But no, seriously, so, I mean, communication is so, it, it's where we struggle everywhere. And when I hear cybersecurity executives complaining, or even anybody in cybersecurity complaining, like, well, the execs just don't get it, or they won't give me funding. And that's one of those times where I'm just like, well, isn't that kind of a, a sign on how you're doing your job? You're not explaining this effectively to them in a way that makes sense. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the things as well that I've really seen CISA focusing on is how can we speak to the private sector in a way that means something to them and give them actionable steps. And I know this was something you and I talked about months ago, yeah. was just that need for, you know, okay, great that, you know, someone's gonna stand up and say, you use MFA for instance, but how do we actually make that happen? Mm -hmm. How do we get there? So um, all of this to, to steer into the, the question I was kind of curious about with the, the, the more than a password campaign, getting the American people on board is one thing. Mm -hmm. 
But I think some of that stems too from getting like a lot of these platforms yeah. to make it even a, a capability. Yeah. And we've only seen that even like the social media with Facebook and LinkedIn and, and Twitter and others yeah. in pretty recent past. So yeah. is, is that like a part of what you're looking at there too? Yeah, I mean, I think both at the individual level, people should do everything they can. And we're trying to be helpful with that um, to ensure their security online. But I think that tech has some significant responsibility as well. Um, things like multi-factor authentication actually should be enabled by default, right? Um, I'm a big believer that, you know, frankly, uh, basic security features like logging, for example, we shouldn't be paying extra for. Like, yeah. you know, all that should sort of come like, you're not paying extra for seatbelts or airbags. And so I think part of that is really taking responsibility for your role in shaping the technology ecosystem for technology companies' role in shaping technology ecosystem. Um, clearly, you know, there is a business. These are businesses that have to make profits and revenue and all of that. But I just think we're at a place in our lives where we are so connected, we are so complex. Um, many of these technologies underpin the critical infrastructure that's about our national security, our economic prosperity, our public health and safety. And some of these less resourced uh, entities, you know, think about small hospitals, things like that. Yeah. They don't have these huge security teams that are gonna help them uh, make sure that they're doing everything they can. And this is where I think the big companies can actually make a difference um, by things like MFA by default and, you know, building in security and resilience by design, not yeah. bolted on. So how do we start to, in your, in your view, sort of shape that, right? Because I almost feel like, I mean, you mentioned that they're businesses, they're there to make money at the end of the day. We understand that. And a lot of times when push comes to shove, they don't see security as something that's going to accelerate that, yeah. right? Security is, again, as we mentioned at the very top of the show, so often seen as, well, that's that cost and whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, on one hand, we could say regulation, but that feels like maybe not the best plan because that always mm -hmm. that kind of breaks that partnership that you're trying to build. 100%. So, so where do you see the ability, or what, what can we start doing to try to to shape those business leaders to say, hey, you know, we really need to to bring this in as part of our business model? Yeah, and you're right. I mean, we're a voluntary agency. I have no desire to be a regulator. <laughs> I think it's really hard to forge the trusted partnerships that we need. Um, when you're seen as a regulator. And so, you know, part of it, though, is the government has certain tools and leverage because of the government's purchasing power. Yes. And so you saw that reflected in Executive Order 14028, which came after Solar Winds, that yeah. sort of said if you want to do business with the government, there are certain basic security mm -hmm. standards that we will expect of you. And so there's that aspect of it. But then there's the you know, there are the partnerships that we're forging with technology companies through elements like the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative. And again, if you are able to build these trusted partnerships and you're able to bring uh, what the government can add value at and what technology companies can add value. And so we have a couple of board members at, at CISON, our advisory committee, um, from companies like Apple and Amazon and and others who are looking at how can we actually move to a world where we are uh, building technology uh, resilient and secure by design. And so some of that is 
influence, leadership. Yeah. Um, but some of it, again, is what the government can do by using the leverage of purchasing power. Absolutely. So I mean, I, my frustration, too, is I really wish consumers, we, we could get them a little less ambivalent, yeah. right? Because, or even more, I mean, sometimes I just get really frustrated because you look at, for me, there's, there's certain tech companies who are doing things right now that really fly in the face of what we're talking about here, that you know, making security a priority, making privacy a priority. Mm -hmm. But you'll find those people in the market or those consumers out there in the marketplace who are like, but they make really cool stuff. Mm -hmm. So I, I really want it. And so that's the other place I've, I've been really trying to figure out, you know, how, how do we crack into that and get consumers maybe to understand that, no, you shouldn't just accept that all your data is being Blown, you know, blown everywhere, and you, you can make choices and impact businesses and get them to, to behave in better ways. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I mean, one of the things we say with MFA is um, this is what you should be doing. And if your uh, email account, if your social media account, if your bank account doesn't give you the option, then tell them they need to, right? So there has to be a little bit of a demand on the consumer side, but there also needs to be um, the recognition that on the business side, these are things that they should be doing um, because security is incredibly important in the world that we live in. Um, and you know, a lot of when you're talking about critical infrastructure and banking or in energy, uh, water, healthcare, Again, these can have life or death consequences, yes, um, particularly much. when you're when you're talking about power, water, and and things like that. And so, I think you know we are raising the consciousness. You know, if you look back at last year, from Solar Winds to the vulnerabilities exploded in Microsoft Exchange and uh, Colonial Pipeline, JBS Foods, Kaseya Software, and then the scourge ransomware that's impacted hospitals, schools, municipalities, yeah. and then you know, log for shell, right? I mean, all of these things, I think people realize that we live in an incredibly complex world because of that complexity, because of the connectivity, because of the, you know, expansive attack surface, um, we are all vulnerable. And yeah. so we have an obligation at the individual level. I have an obligation at the head of America's cyber defense agency, technology companies, critical infrastructure advisor or, or infrastructure owners and operators have an obligation. But what that all translates into is this is about collective cyber defense. You know, the government can't do it alone. Industry can't do it alone. State and local can't do it alone. We have to be able to work together for the good of the nation. So as much as I would love to keep going, I know we're getting down to the end here. Um, so I've got one last question and it really dovetails off of what you were just saying. And because I've been thinking about this the whole way along, we've, we've talked about a lot of what this is trying to do and who you're trying to reach. So what can we all do? American people just out there trying to, you know, what can we do to help your mission and to help get that word out and maybe you influence some of the people who maybe aren't hearing it because they're not immersed in cybersecurity every day? Yeah. Um, thank you for asking that question. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, there, there's probably a couple of things. First, um, for anybody out there who is interested in maybe coming to work at Team CISA, um, we are always looking for incredible talent to build our team. So I'd say one. Two, if you're not, if it's not the right time for you to join Team CISA, partner with us. 
reach out to us, partner with us. We partner not just with critical infrastructure owners and operators. We work very closely with state and local. I have a field force of uh, almost a thousand people that's growing who are sort of first line working with the community. Incredibly important. So come partner with us. Um, and, you know, also when we go back to uh, this whole idea of things that we need to do to keep ourselves safe and to keep our families and our kids safe, help us get that word out on updating your software, making sure that you are looking closely at what you get sent in the email so that you don't get fished because we know over 93% of successful cyber attacks start with the phishing email. Um, you know, uh, good password hygiene, password keepers, and enabling multi-factor authentication. So helping us get that word out, helping to demystify cyber, and then, you know, I think it's important because we are an agency of partnerships, right? When I was in counterterrorism and all this other stuff, federal government arguably and counterterrorism and intelligence in, in the military has monopoly power. Sure, yeah. In cybersecurity, mm -hmm. we're just a partner. We're just a partner with state and local colleagues. We're just a partner with private industry. And so, you know, I believe we have to approach every partnership with humility and with gratitude and really looking to um, receive feedback uh, in a way that's not defensive. I believe very strongly in, in, in treating feedback as a gift to help us make ourselves better. And so I would say, please go to our website, sisa.gov, look and see what we have there in terms of products and information. If you have questions, if you have ideas, if you don't understand something, please reach out to us. And then follow Sisagen on Twitter for uh, information that you Definitely. need about cybersecurity and follow her. You know, good rock rock references every once in a while. Yeah, I mean we get to see the cool pictures. And oh, I'm, I'm on board with that. Oh. Well, unfortunately, I, of course, we could go on for hours. Okay. I say this, I think, at the end of every show, but. We really could, but uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I cannot thank you enough for doing yeah, this. my pleasure. Um, it's been a blast. And for all of you, thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Uh, you know where to find us every week. As I say always, you know, at the end of the show, you know, if you see a converted podcast later, it'll be available to stream on all the usual places. Uh, so thank you all for tuning in. And take care for now. Melissa Miller and Jen Easterly saying see ya from RSA in San Francisco. Yeah. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges Podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.